just over a week to go before the closing of the polls on October 17th and there's still opportunity for Canberrans to put their vote to good use for the environment and to let the parties and candidates know the value that they place on environmental protection and sustainability in the ACT. So joining us this morning from the Conservation Council of the ACT is Helen Oakey and I have to offer Helen an apology because I misspelled her name on our Facebook post yesterday and I called her Helen Oakley and then felt really awful. That's like the biggest journalist faux pas ever is to get your guest name wrong. So it's a common huge, mistake, that huge one. Huge <laughs> apologies, but no excuses, Helen. Um, huge apologies for that. So Helen's joining us this morning and she's going to walk us through a bit of an environmental view of the different parties' policies and talk about where they all stand on sustainability. And if you haven't made up your mind yet in the voting process and maybe you're really wanting to know more about where the parties stand in the environment, this is your chance. Get out your notepad and pen and take some notes. So welcome to the show, Helen. We've had you on before about a year and a half ago to talk about the cat containment proposal, which was quite a heated issue at the time. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on the conversation today. But would you like to maybe um, give us a little bit of background on what your organisation's been doing? You're the peak body for environment and you've been doing a review process, working very hard through these elections, running lots of Zoom meetings with political candidates and MLAs. And I've joined in a couple of them and they've been quite interesting. They've really revealed a lot. So... um Give us an introduction on what's going on. Yeah, so look, this all started um, many months ago for us. So we've spent quite a lot of time, um, conveniently during lockdown actually, um, pulling together the policy uh, priorities for the ACT election. So we released our policy priorities and sent that off to the candidates uh, a few months ago. Um, And it's... It sounds, you know, complicated. There's 76 different asks in the document. I can assure you it was drawn from 80 pages of policy document that um, the conservation and environment and climate change groups all pulled together. So there's lots of really great ideas out there about how we need to make the ACT and Canberra more sustainable and how we, what we can do to protect our environment. Um, so, yes, we've run three forums. We had our first forum was on sustainable transport with some of our member groups, including Pedal Power and um, Public Transport Association of Canberra and streets and the electric vehicle association so that was great and then we ran a a second session on nature biodiversity waterways and then our last session was last week and that was on climate change and urban sustainability and you're right because you know sometimes when you listen to election debates there it seems like there's only a limited number of conversations going on Um, and when you have the opportunity to speak to candidates directly and hear what they have to say um, it's much easier for people to get a really strong sense of where people are landing what their understanding is of the issues as well that we're dealing with here so it's been a really great process Um, and then of course last night we put our scorecard out and uh, sent that out to our members that's a document that's online and it will get updated as well it's really important to know it's already been updated this morning with a new announcement that as the parties continue to make announcements in the lead up to the election we'll we'll clock those announcements and update the scorecard as we go closer to October 17. It's a funny election this year because people have been voting for a couple of weeks already so we're effectively halfway through the voting process so I don't think we're halfway through the number of voters yet. 
Well, I honestly haven't voted myself because I wanted to finish interviewing all of our candidates and then make informed decisions. And I'm hoping that's what people are doing, taking some of this extra time so they can actually absorb more information and go to the polls far more informed this year. You yeah, know, that's Canberra's right. has got a tendency sometimes to flip when it's had one party in power or the coalition in power for a while. And they just think, oh, change is good as a holiday. And we know that often it isn't. Yeah, it, that, I think that is the temptation now. Yeah. And, you know, the ACT... Um, the ACT Labor Party mm-hmm. has been effectively in government mm-hmm. for, um, you know, a couple of decades mm-hmm. and and I think that people mm-hmm. do start to look around to see what the other options mm-hmm. are. Um, certainly the last time that the ACT had full um, control of the Assembly, the, the, the election after that, people mm-hmm. did go with another mm-hmm. option. They swung towards mm-hmm. the Greens at that, mm-hmm. at that 2008 election um, and then since then it's, the balance of power has been held by the Greens with the mm-hmm. Labor Party. Um, so, you know, that that's can be a very real concern for people but then, uh, you know, you're right, you want to have a quick look, a good look at the, the policies that are important mm-hmm. to you um, before you before you cast your mm-hmm. vote because your vote is, it can be very important. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really interesting guests in studio from the minor parties over the last few weeks and what we did notice, I mean, we are, you can tell by the nature of our show, we're very pro-environment and sustainability. So a lot of the minor parties we had also had a platform that was very pro-environment and sustainability. So a lot of the things that they talked about were quite similar to the Greens platforms. Have any of the minor parties approached you and, and had conversations about what they would like to get involved in and support? We've, we've spoken to a, a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Um, We've certainly tried to have a have a look at what the minor party platforms are. Mm. It's been quite challenging actually mm. because um, some of the minor parties candidates hadn't been you know announced very mm. early. It was quite hard to find out who they were and where they were. Mm. There's a couple of independents as well that are running mm-hmm. in particular mm-hmm. electorates, mm-hmm. and so um, you know it's just it, for us it's a matter of having the time to actually talk in depth with mm-hmm. people. But on our website we've made some brief comments mm-hmm. about the minor parties and the independents that are mm-hmm. running at the election who have got environment things or may have issues that might or policies that might impact on the environment both positive and negative um, but we haven't done a detailed analysis of their policies purely because of just the time and the capacity it takes to do that and there's only one Helen and there's only well there's one Helen and and four very dedicated staff and they've all been working incredibly hard so um, yeah so you know I think that people do need to go and have a look at those policies and some of those minor parties are running in some electorates but not in other electorates as well so we, we tried to keep our detailed rating at that level where we, we've got representation across the electorates. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the really important things about minor parties and independents mm-hmm. is that they actually can put issues on the agenda that actually make some of the more established parties look up and say, okay, wow, we hadn't thought mm-hmm. of that for a while or we hadn't considered that issue or, um, you know, we need to focus more on these things because they, they come from outside of the debate and often they can just be really helpful um, to profile an issue um, and certainly as minor parties build their constituency and their membership and and run at repeated elections then they have a much higher chance of getting elected and in the ACT with the hair clerk voting system you know you never know what can happen there's some strange things yes. that can happen um, so I think if you're in the race in as a minor party or an independent yeah. then you know you're not necessarily out of the race although it can be really difficult to get a quota to get elected. And we just wanted to you know remind our voters who might be feeling a bit jaded it's not just the big two slash three you know if if you're not um seeing what you want to support 
in those parties, there are other choices and it just takes one person on the crossbench to make a difference. That's right. It can really shake up the debate mm-hmm. in the Assembly when you have people on the crossbench that are actually uh, not bound by party mm-hmm. platforms mm-hmm. Um, and it can really challenge people to think more laterally about things and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would really urge people to do is to make sure that they use up all of their ballot paper because mm-hmm. um, the one thing you don't want to do is just vote put three where well, if you, you need to put five marks on your ballot paper anyway mm-hmm. so you need to put as many marks as there are people mm-hmm. in the um in the seat but mm-hmm. don't stop at five because your vote gets counted if your candidate doesn't get elected so particularly if you're voting for mm-hmm. a minor party or an independent and they don't end up getting elected the value of your vote will be passed on to your next preference mm-hmm. the full value of it until it's used up really important mm-hmm. people don't stop after two or three or four, or even five mm-hmm. yeah yeah we had dr peter tate from capad on last week and he said exactly the same thing you know he was going to fill them in up to 82 or whatever it yeah was. you just keep going you just yeah. keep going go this is the only chance i get every four years yeah. i'm going to make the most yeah. of it and make it count so we covered um, a range of different issues. So obviously the first overarching issue and the one that threads through nearly mm-hmm. everything that we do at the moment is around climate change, both trying to reduce emissions mm-hmm. but also trying to prepare for a changing climate that's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that impacts on on so many different things. So when we reviewed the science on climate change, it became clear to us and from the latest IPCC reports that said that we need to turn emissions trajectories around globally um, we do we need to think about um, reviewing that target and so we actually said to the parties well you know you've got this 2045 net zero emissions target we're really sorry as Al Gore says it's an inconvenient truth but we actually need to hit net zero emissions much quicker Um, And so we put that forward to the parties and said you know you really need to get to net zero emissions by 2030. That The challenge with that is that people now look at that and go, oh, that's too hard. Uh, And so I think our main message has been, well, we need to do as much as we can as quickly as we can. And if you don't aim high, you will never get there. And so it's really about ratcheting up the ambition under that climate change and energy policy. So that was the first one. Um, and under, as, you, as you're aware, under climate change, direct emissions for the ACT, we've got 22% of those come from gas, around 60% of those come from transport, primarily made up of private vehicle use. Mm-hmm. Some real challenges for a city like Canberra mm-hmm. in terms of how we're going to transition from using petrol and diesel fueled cars to other forms of transport that have zero emissions. And on that point, we've got some conflict of interest because we've got, I mean, the Liberals have been offering reduced rego and um, incentives for parking and that doesn't sound like it's reducing personal use transport with that sort of incentive. I think that's one of the real challenges and you can Mm -hmm. tell by looking at our scorecard. Mm -hmm. Um, The Canberra Liberals have actually Mm -hmm. supported the net zero emissions target by 2045. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in theory they've stood there and said, we actually understand that we need to get rid of the 22% from gas and the 60% from Mm -hmm. private vehicle Mm -hmm. transport. In practicality, when we've reviewed their policies, some of those policies are really pulling in the opposite direction. Um, And that's a couple of them, you know, um, non-means tested support for private vehicle use Mm -hmm. is not the kind of policy that actually maximises what you're going to use your government funding mm-hmm. for. If you're going to subsidise or provide rebates mm-hmm. or give government taxes back to people, mm-hmm. 
let's do it in a way that actually encourages really good behaviour and or not good behaviour as in well behaved but good behaviour as in the kinds of things that we want to encourage people to do um, which is you know incentivising public transport electric bikes electric scooters electric vehicles not basically giving a reduction in the cost of living which is a really short-term quick fix of 100 to 200 dollars a year by making car rego cheaper it just doesn't make sense and i think there was a really good comment i read on um one of the media platforms the other day it was about the tax cuts that were recently announced in the budget and they were saying look tax cuts are all fine but we'd rather have all these other really important things taken care of you know address the environmental issues address the lack of childcare. you know there's there's a lot better use that money could be put to yeah i think it does come down to your view of how you think taxes should be spent whether Mm. you think that you know you give everybody a cut and then you get the so-called trickle down economic Mm. effect or you Mm. or you target it towards low income Mm. and people that need support and atcos have been very strong at this Mm. election even as well about the fact that the people who are needing support Um, to get through this just transition, as we call it, from, you know, a high-carbon economy to low-carbon economy, are the people that actually are going to have tr- difficulty paying for the, what we call, you know, the upfront infrastructure or appliances. So whether it's about switching your house from using gas heating to using electric heating, um, which can cost you, you know, several thousands of dollars at the front end, um, or whether it's about actually buying an electric vehicle in five years' time when you know, the market opens Mm. up. Um, That's a far better use of the public money than to just give everybody a tax, uh, you know, a rego cut. It doesn't, it, yeah, yeah it, it really is a better, more targeted use of what, yeah. of what we need to do. Because we've chatted to people that really do care about the environment and sustainability, but we're just laughing when they said, well, you know, nice to, you're going to give me $10,000 towards a new electric vehicle. I basically can't afford a bus pass. You know? <laughs> right. So they, they yeah. would love to participate, but they're yeah. not in that economic bracket where they can participate at that level. Yeah, and it's particularly restrictive when mm. the transition requires a capital investment mm-hmm. at the front end because mm-hmm. what we know is that if you do sw- say switch your house from gas heating mm-hmm. to electric mm-hmm. heating is you actually your bills go down mm-hmm. because it's much cheaper to use um, heat pump aircon heating mm-hmm. than it is to use your gas mm-hmm. um, your gas mm-hmm. heating um, and so because we know that the running costs go down mm-hmm. what happens is that the people who can afford to make the transition will do it first mm-hmm. and get lower mm-hmm. bills mm-hmm. and the people who can't afford to make mm-hmm. the transition are left both with not being able to buy a new appliance, but also with the higher running costs. And we don't want that. That's just really unfair. There were some good rebates to switch over to reverse cycle units from gas and they would actually remove your old gas system as well. Yep. Um, And it was... And we were looking at out of a $3,000 cost per unit, something like almost a $2,000 rebate. So they were making it quite viable. And I'm a renter and had a very uneconomical gas system in my home that was unaffordable to run. So I spent two winters being very cold yeah and I convinced my landlord to install the new system with the rebate and I've more than halved the costs of heating my home yeah and it's it's so true yeah. yeah it's so true it mm-hmm. really does make a big difference mm-hmm. the good news for the election mm-hmm. is that um both the Greens and the Labor Party have put policies on the table mm-hmm. to um well the Greens more specifically to help those low-income um groups to mm-hmm. get through that transition and to to invest in new appliances for low-income mm-hmm. families um the Labor Party have put a policy on the table to actually um give 
no interest loans of up, you know, up to $10,000 no interest loans to people to put solar on, mm-hmm. to put hot heat pump hot water systems in mm-hmm. and also to switch off um, gas heating. So they're using mm-hmm. that incentive-based mm-hmm. scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, not a ba- it's not a bad idea because mm-hmm. really um, it actually does help people over the longer terms. And the, the thing that they find is that you can pay off your loan with the savings that you mm-hmm. make on your bill. So if you can get access to capital... To, mm-hmm. to buy a new appliance or a new heating system, mm-hmm. then you can pay that off. And if it's a no-interest loan, you can pay that mm-hmm. off with the savings that you make. Mm-hmm. And the modelling that we've done um, on our Make the Switch website is that people can save um, hundreds of dollars a year on their gas bills, mm-hmm. and that's on consumption. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you can switch your gas off, you save on your connection fee as well, yeah. which is $300 a year. And the gas is desperate because I've switched mine off for almost a year and they're still sending me things and how can we win you back and I said we can stop fracking in the Northern Territory for a start we go a long way to getting me to listen to you that's right it it is ironic isn't it that they they both run schemes to actually you know subsidize you to get off and then the gas companies are like no it's Mm. gas it's natural it's clean it's like no it's not it's a fossil fuel (laughs) and you just mentioned make the switch website I just had a quick look at that last night so that's a brand new website you've got up and running for consumers who would like to make the switch and get more information and maybe share the stories of making the switch yeah that's right it's a great little resource um so people who are thinking about how to do this and you can put your own um usage numbers in and the kind of appliances that you might like to buy um, and also just talks you through the process of actually transitioning from a house from gas electric to all electric um, and which ones you might do first and and when you do that so we know that the best thing to do is probably to take your heating off first because your biggest heating uses too. the most. You get yeah. the biggest savings. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, the beauty of putting in an electric heat pump or a split system, mm-hmm. we call them split mm-hmm. systems in Australia, mm-hmm. which are basically the air conditioning units. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of those is that you can use them for heating and for cooling. Mm-hmm. And also, if we happen to have another season like last year, you can also use it for purifying your air and cooling your house without your windows being open, which means that you're actually protected from some of the smoke impacts as well. So they're quite versatile little units and they're very cheap to run these days. They didn't used to be. No, no, but but they are now. They are now. And I'm just wondering too that, you know, perhaps, you know, with some of the upgrade incentives that they're looking at creating um, sort of like a, a baseline for rental properties that are going to have at least some sort of renewable sustainable energy in them you know we've got a lot of old properties in Canberra that haven't been upgraded for a long time that are definitely you know they're not insulated properly or insulated at all some of them Um, they don't have any kind of uh, renewable energy incentives in them so I think there was some discussion around making uh, a sort of a, a baseline where a minimum standard yeah, a minimum yeah, standard that yeah. the this property owners would have to do that this has been a long and ongoing debate mm. and um, with the climate change strategy that came out mm-hmm. last year the mm-hmm. government did agree to set minimum mm-hmm. mandatory standards mm-hmm. for rental properties for energy efficiency mm-hmm. um, that work is still in process in mm-hmm. government mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we, we've got commitments from the government and, and mm-hmm. you know, from the Greens, I mean, the minister was in the government, but to, to get that work done next year, mm-hmm. um, they have rolled out some new programs for renters. So if you're a renter mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. it's worth getting in touch with the ACT mm-hmm. government through the AXMART program because mm-hmm. they've got a new rental program where they'll do mm-hmm. you an energy assessment on your home. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need the, we kind of think we need the stick as well as the carrot for rentals because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of carrots around mm-hmm. for landlords mm-hmm. in terms of rebates. Um, even with the home insulation scheme mm-hmm. years ago, there was a lot of carrots to get insulation mm-hmm. into your roof. Um, but landlords are notoriously difficult mm-hmm. customers to get there without the stick, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so 
I think what we've realised is that from a policy perspective we need both an <laughs> encouragement but also mm-hmm. it's setting a minimum standard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often say, well, what would be different? If you hire a car mm-hmm. out, it needs to have seatbelts, mm-hmm. it needs to be safe, it needs to be comfortable, it needs mm-hmm. to meet a standard. If you're going to hire a house out, it should be safe, it should be comfortable and it shouldn't be draining on your purse in terms of energy bills Mm -hmm. because you've got no insulation. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, you know, you're going to make your property, you're going to increase the value of your property by doing these things. It's going to have longevity. Yeah, and unfortunately there are some landlords that just don't seem to get that. (laughs) So, yeah. So... We talked, we're going back to your scorecard that mm-hmm. you mentioned in the beginning. So this is where I ask who gets the gold star and, <laughs> and who gets the needs improvement? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we've put the scorecard together with around about 14 or 15 different mm-hmm. sections in it and people get stars in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Greens certainly come across as having the mm-hmm. most comprehensive mm-hmm. and ambitious policies mm-hmm. across a range of different areas. Um, they actually have committed to a transition mm-hmm. to stopping new gas connections. Mm-hmm. Um, they've actually committed to striving towards mm-hmm. that 2030 net zero emissions mm-hmm. target that we talked about. Um, and if you go down that column, you can see that they've got very mm-hmm. strong and ambitious mm-hmm. um, biodiversity policies, um, waterways policies, transport policies. Um, the ALP certainly have some of the same policies and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've actually put forward a really strong agenda in terms of um, trying to cut emissions with that with those rebate the mm-hmm. no interest loans that we were talking about. They've also committed to putting in another two hundred and fifty. Um, oh my gosh, I just had a mental blank about the size of that battery that they're going to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the megawatt. Ba- Thank megawatt, you, megawatt. Yes. <laughs> two hundred and fifty <laughs> megawatt battery. Yeah. More, I more had a mental blank around the mm-hmm. units. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is a really interesting um, investment mm-hmm. because putting in battery storage mm-hmm. in the ACT actually builds resilience into mm-hmm. our electricity mm-hmm. grid and gives us more flexibility. Mm-hmm. So that's really great. And Labor wanted to transition off gas by 2045, I understand. That was their well, goal. Well, the climate change strategy has mm-hmm. that commitment in it and mm-hmm. that's a government strategy. Mm-hmm. So, so the Labor Party have committed to transitioning mm-hmm. off gas. Um, I think the difference is that they see it very much by happening, waiting for the market to do its work. Mm-hmm. And the problem that we have with that is that there are some things where the market is pushing in the opposite direction because people have different interests. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in some of the new developments up Northbourne Avenue at the moment, Mm -hmm. they're still being built, and it totally blows my mind, Mm -hmm. but they're still being built with just gas cooktops. So no gas Mm -hmm. heating because they've got split Mm -hmm. systems, um, but because gas is seen as sort of, you know, the ultimate cooking Mm -hmm tool which it's really not because if you've got an induction cooktop you can see that it's you know it's just as effective um and so you know there's there's market forces and also from the gas distribution network you know the gas companies there's market forces pushing against so we're having two different conversations here we're having one about climate change and getting off it and one about hey gas is so you know wonderful and so cozy so we know that the liberals have been advocating for gas continuously there's they haven't changed that they really really. have and it's been quite extraordinary for for a political party that that brands itself as wanting to cut the cost of living for Canberra mm-hmm. families, I am astounded mm-hmm. that they actually haven't done the sums on the fact that a gas-free house is a cheaper house to run. Mm-hmm. And um, when they advocated that gas mm-hmm. continues to be available in new suburbs, mm-hmm. I'm even more astounded mm-hmm. because when you build a new house, you build an energy-efficient house, mm-hmm. you build it with electric heating, mm-hmm. 
And the only thing that people are going to get hooked up to the mm. gas network for is for their cooking, mm. and that's three hundred and twenty dollars a year connection fees for the for the pure joy mm. of being able to cook on a gas cooktop. When they could do it with an induction year, cooktop, when yeah. they can do that mm. a different way and do mm. it better. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you're going to continue to roll out the gas mm-hmm. network to new mm-hmm. suburbs is absolutely ludicrous, um, to the point where Evo Energy. Mm-hmm. They realise it's not financially viable Mm -hmm. and even Evo Energy are pulling back from Mm -hmm. that. So I really do think that the Canberra Liberals need to probably get on our Make the Switch website, actually (laughs) put some numbers in (laughs) and do the sums. And they'll realise that for Canberra households, it's not necessarily better. Mm. I mean, I'm the same as you. I'm one of those families (laughs) where, you know, single income family, um, small three bedroom house and my (laughs) gas bills were crippling me. (laughs) every winter and when you're putting it on for two hours in the evening to not freeze to death and that's it and you're still getting double your electricity bill that's right and some of them can be very leaky and they're old systems and they're not running very efficiently um and they just heat up the whole house and you may not be using the whole house um Mm -hmm. it's a very it's not a it's not particularly efficient Mm -hmm. um you know and my motivation was to be to be um a zero emissions household, but, but you know, people will have different motivations and some people mm-hmm. will be motivated by cost. So the, the Greens, um, they have a proposal to prevent new households from being able to sign up for gas um, from 2023 onwards, mm. I believe. So it's still two years to implement that policy, mm. but at least it looks like we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, there. yeah. And you'll see that we gave them two stars for that policy. <laughs> um, it, you know, it might seem a bit harsh because they're mm-hmm. way out in front on this. Um, I think from our perspective, we understand that there will be some projects that will already have development approval mm-hmm. and will already have lead-in times. But for any project that doesn't have a development approval already mm-hmm. signed off on, it it is just extraordinary that they can't, in less than two years, we can't figure out a way to say to people, please don't hook up to the network. Mm-hmm. If you do a knockdown rebuild, don't hook up to the network. If you're building an apartment block, please don't put gas in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, you know, the idea that it takes two years to get that done in a situation where we're supposed to be in a climate emergency, sometimes it leaves me gasping. I'm like, we're in a climate emergency, mm-hmm. but even the simplest of policy changes, mm-hmm. the simplest thing, which is to stop doing something, not... We're not actually taking anything away mm-hmm. from people, but just don't do that anymore. And giving them an equally viable option to replace it. Yeah, when it's we not, have you're the not technology, to do without. right, when yeah. it's so easy and we have the technology yeah. and it's cheaper yeah. and it's cleaner. You know, sometimes when I think about the climate challenge and mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of I sit there and I go, this is just the simplest and easiest mm-hmm. thing and this is going to take us two years. Mm-hmm. And the Labor Party came out mm-hmm. against it or, or kind of, you know, mm-hmm. dissed the idea in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect they're not actually... Mm-hmm as opposed to it as, as what it sounded like. But, you know, I'm kind of like, well, how how big an emergency does it have to be yeah. to actually get and a little bit of speed? And I don't want to get a bigger emergency than what we had last New Year's. I right. mean, that was the wake-up call for anybody that was sitting on the fence as far as I was concerned. It, yeah, and I think, you know, this idea of a climate emergency can be hard to conceptualise, mm-hmm. but I think last summer it wasn't hard to conceptualise. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't take yeah. us two, two years mm-hmm. to get the fire engines down to put the fires out. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I do. Sometimes I do feel overwhelmed by the scale of the challenge, and we know, you know, for example, that the new mm. the Narrabri gas project has just been approved by mm. the Independent Planning mm. Commission in New mm. South Wales, and part of the rationale that they're using to to make that development happen mm. is that this will supply New South Wales domestic gas users. Mm. Firstly, that's questionable, mm. but secondly, is we don't need it. And yet we're actually proceeding to you know damage rural lands, potentially put waterways at risk. Um, oh, and, and huge amounts of water usage. Yeah, to, it's to just extraordinary. This, yeah. So, you know, it's all very well to say we have a climate emergency, mm-hmm. 
but you know when the rubber hits the road who's actually yeah responding as if we have a climate emergency. Yeah, there's a lot of lip service going on. And, and I hate to say it, but I was on some of your Zoom meetings and I'm not going to point the finger at particular parties, but there was definitely a, um, one corner that was delivering a lot of lip service rather than a lot of action planning. I, I think it's something that, that, I mean, it's partly why we're here, mm-hmm. but it's something that is easy for politicians to fall mm-hmm. into because mm-hmm. they're trying to deal with lots of different constituents mm-hmm. and what their needs are. And this is a local ACT election, mm-hmm. so this election's particularly got that very local flavour mm-hmm. to it. You know, my footpath, my pavement, mm-hmm. and, you know, my rates and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But we need to step back and look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give you a chance, because I know you didn't get a lot of um, movement on the cat containment issue, um, and I just wanted to give you a little chance to catch us up on that since we've had you on last. So it was a proposed plan, and there was going to be grandfathering in, um, I believe, of people who had established households with outside cats, and then the idea was to grandfather them into being fully indoors. Mm. How's that going? Like, Where, where, where look, have we really gone stalled. since the last year and a half? It really stalled. Mm-hmm. So that was the cat plan that the government released last year mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. um, we really didn't hear anything from mm-hmm. the ACT government mm-hmm. since then. Um, I think that it was one of those policy areas that just got put on the back burner mm-hmm. with the, the COVID response. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt that the COVID response mm-hmm. sucked up a lot of government mm-hmm. resources. Um, but it has really stalled. And mm-hmm. that plan outlined three options for implementation mm-hmm. for citywide cat containment. Um, and yet not one of the parties this election has announced a timeline by which they would implement one of those options. And I I just think it's a really easy thing for the government to do Mm. is to say, you know, we've got those three options. We've done the work. They've done the work. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to go ahead and do it this way or we're Mm going to do it that way. Um, I think what was interesting from the debate last year is it Mm -hmm. became clear to me that that it's really shifted in Mm -hmm. terms of the public understanding Mm -hmm. of this issue. Um, We were receiving lots of support from people who were saying, Mm -hmm. yes, please, can you make this happen? Um, I think that people understand Mm -hmm. that responsible pet ownership means making your keeping Mm -hmm. your pet contained. Um, For the pet's well-being as well. For the pet's well-being as well. But, you know, when we think, again, this is another one of those things that's a biodiversity measure. That's why Mm -hmm. the Conservation Council has been involved Mm -hmm. with it for a, a decade now. Um, because it is really about stopping mm-hmm. our sort of human behaviours mm-hmm. and the things that we do in our mm-hmm. urban areas from impacting on our native mm-hmm. biodiversity. So birds, reptiles, small mammals mm-hmm. are regularly hunted by domestic cats. Mm-hmm. And the damage that is done by cats across Australia is mm-hmm. extraordinary. It's listed as one of the most threatening things mm-hmm. that that our biodiversity has had to manage, cope with. Um, and even the federal parliament is now considering the impact of not just fer- what's called feral cats, but also domestic cats. Mm-hmm. Because we free understand... Free roaming cats. Free roaming yeah. cats. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter whether they're domestic or... Mm-hmm. It does matter a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of how you manage it, but, but mm-hmm. domestic cats are cats that roam, you know, up to a kilometre into nature reserves. Mm-hmm. And because of where we live in Canberra, mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that so many people live within 500 mm-hmm. metres of a nature reserve. The impact is quite quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think about biodiversity and all the biodiversity that we lost mm-hmm. at, during the bushfires, um, you would think that we would be e- extending ourselves mm-hmm. to actually, again, just take some really quick action on this mm-hmm. and say, okay, you know, in, in five years' time this is the way it's going to be. Um, this is what we're going to do in the lead up to mm-hmm. so that people know mm-hmm. what's coming and then they can plan ahead mm-hmm. for that. And maybe I'm just going to use the term normal year. If we'd had a normal year, that might be higher on the agenda. I would hope so. You know, with the bushfires and, of course, Canberra experienced the hail damage right after the bushfires and then immediately after that we went into the beginning of COVID. I think everybody's focus has been on 
you know, the cat containment is a big picture item, but it's it doesn't sell as well in the media. No, you know? and it, it really has been quite an extraordinary year. And I think, I think while you know we could we can cut some space for you know government and people in government, I know that you know the government's worked incredibly hard this year in terms of responding to COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, but we, you know, as as we need to learn to live in a different way with COVID, we also need to continue on with some of these other issues because. Um, you know, when we when we zero in and focus on ourselves too much, and we forget the rest of the world around mm-hmm. us, we're going to look up one day and go, "Oops, <laughs> that didn't that didn't go well for us." <laughs> well, I'm going to quote you, Helen, and a lovely quote you had on your bio, and it says, "Change takes time, requiring engagement with community, governments, and business." And that's exactly what we've been forced to do this year. This has been the year of change, but we've proven we're resilient and we can change. We can learn. I mean, we just look yeah. at all the changes we've made in such a short time. Even I think though isn't that been extraordinary? Changes. Hasn't yeah. it been? extraordinary to see how quickly we can change when we absolutely see the imperative for it straight away this is this is one of the ongoing challenges of the climate change problem is that people can't see the immediate impact all the time Um, but what what is really clear to me is that when we're under imminent threat we actually have that flexibility and that capacity to change and respond really quickly Um, but because the threat of climate change often doesn't seem so imminent and so it's not so in our face all the time, um, it's easy to kind of push it away mm-hmm. and, and sort of say, you know, yeah. I can keep going business as usual. So change yeah. does take time generally, yeah. more time than I like sometimes. Was, you know? <laughs> yes, what was interesting for us is um, a few weeks ago we had Greens candidate for Gin and Dara, Jo Clay, on the show and she um, has been putting together a lot of research for the Carbon Diet, her book and website and she had mentioned that she was at one point doing some research to go and interview climate refugees to talk about the devastating impacts climate change has had on them and she suddenly realized she didn't have to go very far she only had to drive down to the south coast yeah and that was when it really hit her just how imminent i mean of course she's involved in the the whole movement but when you realize that your climate change refugees are now and a half away yeah and 20 years ago we used to talk about climate refugees from the pacific and now we're talking about you know our own country floods Mm -hmm fires mm-hmm. it yeah it you you'd think it would really bring it home to mm-hmm. us and we're not and talking about isolated regional communities we're talking no. about thriving you know small towns and medium-sized towns I no mean, and, and you know when you know i think we've forgotten those maps that mm-hmm. that we saw in january mm-hmm. of how extensive that that bushfire mm-hmm. was um and you know again we've had a wet season mm-hmm. it's easy to be reassured by that but mm-hmm. there is there is no comfort to be held and as soon as the temperature goes up over 35 degrees yeah. and the wind picks up, I think people are going to start And all the feeling, growth from the wet season dries out. Yeah, people are going to start feeling very nervous yeah. again. And yeah. and I think with those extreme temperatures that we've seen, mm. it's just, there's no real respite. Mm. Um, it's, it's very concerning. Yeah. And as things go with this show, we always run out of time before we're ready. <laughs> well, so we've I just wanted to give you a quick opportunity to talk about anything that's up and coming that you think our listeners might be interested in. I think you've got a spring dinner coming up. There's the Zero Waste Festival in November. Uh, there's a couple of other things that um, I noticed that you had on the yeah, we do. Website. We do have our online spring dinner. So that's mm-hmm. the World Environment Day dinner that we usually run. Um, mm-hmm. It's going online, as mm-hmm. many things mm-hmm. have done. Um, so that's going to be great because people, if you register mm-hmm. that, you can have uh, people over to your house in a COVID safe way. And we will deliver a hamper of beautiful food okay. to your house so that you can share it with friends. No cooking involved. Buy an electric vehicle. Buy an electric vehicle. That's right. We're trying to keep it all very carbon neutral. Um, so a hamper to your house with an electric vehicle delivery and have some friends over um, and log into our dinner. 
and we'll have um, Costa will be talking mm-hmm. still at that dinner. So, so that's Australia's great. Costa. Gardening Australia Costa. Yeah. Um, and we'll have lots of other things going, including our Environment Awards for this year. So uh, nominations for Environment Awards are open now. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody that you've, you know, you know or you worked with who's shown great leadership on environmental issues this year, mm-hmm. now is the time to nominate them. So that's really exciting. Um, and then probably after that, we've after the election, um, we can take a little break. <laughs> and then we'll be also continuing to have some workshops around the Make the Switch mm-hmm. website Excellent. and talking to different people in the community about that and, and sharing that message a bit more widely. And you've got a 40-year anniversary coming up too, I believe, the Yeah, Council. next April will be yeah. our 40th anniversary, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you're looking for some volunteers and people to help with some things with we, that? We will be. We, um, we haven't quite nailed down what that's going to mm-hmm. look like yet, but we're starting – what we wanted to do was start doing a little bit of a history – project on Mm -hmm. the things that the Conservation Council has achieved over Mm -hmm. the last 40 years, some of the good stories. Um, And so we've been looking for some volunteers to go and talk to people and gather some of that Mm -hmm. information so that we can go into that date Mm -hmm. with, you know, we'll probably pull an event together um, Mm -hmm. both for member groups and also for the public Mm -hmm. just to sort of celebrate the role of um, all of Mm -hmm. the local environment groups and conservation groups in the ACT Mm -hmm. um, and the role of the Conservation Mm -hmm. Council coordinating that. You know, Mm -hmm. the Conservation Council's had a few different shapes and iterations Mm -hmm over the years um but that's that's very exciting for next year yeah yeah. that sounds great and so if people would like to hear about what's going on regularly i believe you have a newsletter they can sign up to we do yeah so you can sign up on our website which is um www.conservationcouncil.org.au um, you can sign up there for the newsletters and we, we put those out once a month or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and um, I think we're good on Facebook. Yeah. No, we're getting there on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, and that's a good way to stay informed. There's always something that's coming through. Yeah. And, of course, the most important thing is what we started this conversation about, which was getting informed if you haven't cast your vote yet. So go to your website, look at the scorecard. Yeah, look at the scorecard. We're going to continue updating it as announcements come through. Um and if there's anything on there that you think that parties should have announced and they haven't, then get onto your candidates and see what they're doing about it because actually that's the way we get mm. changes by candidates mm. and political parties hearing back from the community about what's important to them. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you. It's been really short and sweet. We always wish we had more time, but hopefully we can get you back maybe next year around the 40th anniversary and we can talk about some of those great stories. That'd be great, Zena. Thank you so much yeah. for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. And that was Helen Oakey, Executive Director of Conservation Council of the ACT. And if you'd like to hear more behind the lines along with other great community content, you can support 2XX by becoming a sponsor or subscriber, volunteering with us or even submitting your music. For more information, go to 2XXFM.org. Uh, you've been listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson this morning with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra.